I saw a video from an author last week who talked about the importance of finding your why, but this wasn't the standard finding your why exercise. It was about understanding why you have certain traits and delving into your past to see if you can identify experience that shaped those traits. It got me thinking a lot about why I'm so private. I don't share much on social media unless it's for my business, not even on my personal profiles. I don't tend to get close quickly with people and I hesitate to participate in groups and networking meetings with people I don't know well, despite being socially confident. And when I unpacked it in the way this author encourages people to, I think I identified why. And it reminded me of how we don't have to follow all the rules and advice we hear as business people. We can do things our way and still experience success. So if you want to know how to decide what kind of things work for you and don't, and if you want a way to distinguish between taking yourself out of your comfort zone in a good way from a bad way, then keep listening. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. I'm first generation British Indian. My parents were born in India and moved to the UK when they were younger, and I was born and brought up here. And I grew up and went to school in a predominantly white environment. But I had this, well, what felt like a secret life. On the weekends, when my friends would invite me out or for sleepovers, I always had to say no because of this secret life. See, before I was born, my parents formed really close relationships with a few other families who also came at some point from Calcutta to settle in the UK. And after a few years, we were all born. And even though we're in our 30s and 40s, we're still referred to as the kids. And every weekend, we would go to one another's houses or meet up all together. We grew up like family. We'd stick the music on and dance and we'd play. And we had cultural events where I got to wear a sari. But because nobody at school or even the area I lived in led this kind of life or looked like me, I felt embarrassed to share my secret life with them. I remember once being on our way to something like a wedding. Anyway, I was wearing a sari and my mum wanted me to quickly jump out of the car and grab something from the local shops. She got a hard no from me. And it was because on the one hand, I was so excited and proud of my culture, but in my day-to-day world, I was embarrassed. I thought that if anyone from school saw me, they'd laugh at what I was wearing. And so I grew up keeping these two lives separate and being very private. And when I think about why as an adult, I'm so social on the one hand and so private on the other, it kind of makes sense. I mean, right now, as I tell you this story, even though it's not massively personal, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. And it's why you'll rarely find me talking about things that are really personal, whether it's on here or on social media. But despite the discomfort, the reason I'm telling you this story is because if you research effective sales and marketing strategies, one of the top pieces of advice that crops up time and time again is to tell your story, share personal details with your audience. It helps them to get to know you and relate to you and trust you. But I don't. This is probably the second time I've shared something personal publicly. 
but I do consider both of my businesses to be successful. So my businesses are doing well, despite me not sharing many personal stories. And what that proves is that as effective as the storytelling strategy is, and it really is effective, it's just not me and I can be successful without it. And it means that you can also be successful without following every piece of advice that you come across, no matter how much the advice makes sense. Last week, we hit a problem in the tutor's mastermind. After feeling like some people weren't as present as they normally were, I took a temperature check and realised that many of the members were feeling overwhelmed. And it was for various reasons, but the way I was packing so much value into each session wasn't actually helping. So we're changing how we do things through monthly topics and really zooming into them rather than having a long to-do list or jumping from topic to topic. And it reminded me of how overwhelming it can be if you're the kind of business like you and I who's interested in developing and learning new things. It's great for making progress. But when you open yourself to listening to lots of business related podcasts and following coaches on social media, all the different advice flying your way can get overwhelming. Just as you feel like you're making progress in one area, you're discovering there's another thing you're supposed to be doing. You feel like you have to do all of it, but I'm kind of proof that you don't have to do all of it. You don't have to take all the advice you hear. And that includes mine. Don't follow my advice if it doesn't suit you or if it overwhelms you. So today I want to navigate a little around this to help you decide what advice you should take, what advice doesn't suit you, but isn't going to hinder you if you don't take it and how to decide how far to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And the best way I can do this is to share some of my experiences and how I test new strategies to see how they fit with me. The top thing I think we can do is to follow advice that really resonates with us, makes us feel comfortable, although it's a hard balance because sometimes you have to take yourself out of your comfort zone. But the way I see it is take yourself out of your comfort zone, try it out if you think it's something you want to try, and then see how you feel. For example, going on video was a real weakness of mine, and it still kind of is. I don't go on video all that often. And part of it is because I think, oh, the lighting isn't good, or I don't look very nice or whatever. You know, I feel quite self-conscious. And so I created a YouTube channel, which you might think I'm absolutely crazy to do because I don't like going on video. However, I chose to do it because, as I mentioned in last week's episode, Video content for service and course-based businesses like mine are a great way to give people that try-before-you-buy experience. And the result of it has actually been really good because I'm becoming immune to that self-criticism because I'm seeing myself on video so much while I'm editing it. It's the same with this podcast. When I thought about launching it, it took me ages. I gave myself a deadline and actually ended up launching it about six months after it. I was so paranoid about my voice and I thought people might not like what I say. I just had all these limiting beliefs go through my mind. But now I'm hearing my voice weekly as I edit each episode. So just like YouTube, I'm immune to it now. And so I know that these things are comfortable for me now and useful in my business. I needed to push myself out of my comfort zone and I know they're okay. But there could be certain things I'll try. I can't think of any examples right now, but I might try something that's out of my comfort zone that still doesn't feel great for me. So in that situation, I just wouldn't keep doing it. So make that call. Ask yourself, number one, does this make sense for my business? Number two, 
Is it something I want to try? And number three, how do I feel when I try it? And, you know, to be fair, you have to try it a few times to really know. So trying things out and being led by your feelings is important, I think, because for anything to work in our business, we have to do it consistently. And we're only going to be consistent if we choose something that's sustainable. And it's only going to be sustainable if it's something that we feel good or at least okay doing. But another way to come at this is to be intentional. When I work with clients who are at the very beginning stages of their business or want to learn how to market because they may have, for example, relied on word of mouth so far, I do two things with them. The first thing is we design a client attraction or marketing strategy that's really lean. We focus on the one thing that's most likely to work and we triple down on that rather than trying lots of different things and essentially going from zero to 60. But this is coupled with the second thing I help them do, and that is to actually decide on what client attraction or marketing method they'd like to go for. Now, of course, depending on your business, there might be some methods that are clear contenders that are likely to work and some that just are going to be really tough or ineffective. But remember what I mentioned earlier about the importance of consistency and therefore choosing something that's sustainable. We need to balance strong strategic decisions with something that works for us. For instance, I had a client who had tried social media marketing a few times before she'd met me, and she just really disliked it. She didn't use it in her personal life and just was not interested in using it for her business. Now, social media would have been her fastest route to potential clients being able to find her, but I knew that I could probably convince her to use it, but she wouldn't be able to sustain it. So instead, We used it simply as an entry point and used email marketing as her primary marketing form. And she much preferred this. In fact, she really enjoys email marketing, but she did it with her eyes open. She knows that with minimal social media activity, it may take longer to build that email list, but she was fine with that. And her consistency has actually led her to steady growth, especially now that she's gained momentum. Now, marketing, especially social media marketing, seems to be a common source of overwhelm where people struggle to generate content at the frequency they think they need to. They struggle with content ideas. They struggle with the different types of content they're being told to put out there. For instance, on Instagram right now, you have static posts that is just one image sits on your grid. You have carousel style posts where you scroll through a set of images. You have reels, which are short videos, and you have stories. If you listen to anyone who knows anything about Instagram, they advise that reels tend to get the best reach, so they're a good way to grow your account. But people struggle with this because they don't have the capacity and or confidence to keep creating fresh videos, which is important because most social media platforms prioritize recency. Fresh content needs to keep flowing through. But a shortcut you could take is to create a static visual like a photograph, for example, but publish it as a reel. It doesn't actually have to be a video or a video with you speaking. So look for shortcuts and workarounds if you want to try a strategy, but just can't keep up with what's needed from it. And when it comes to social media marketing or even creating content for search engine style platforms like YouTube, just pick a schedule that's realistic for you. Sure, posting every day or multiple times a week might be the optimal way to get results, but if you can't sustain it, you won't actually get those results. People who try to maintain a schedule that's unrealistic usually end up just stopping, not reducing the frequency because they've hit a wall. 
So if you need to, post just once a week. The results might come in slower, but if that's what you can sustain, your consistency will pay off. You will get the results. It just might take a little longer, which is better than not getting the results in the first place. So in summary, you don't have to action every single piece of advice you come across, no matter how good that advice is. I tend to approach this the same way I approach creating marketing strategies. Instead of trying to do everything at the same time, I start with a core activity, which is the one thing that I know will make things better or will be good for business. And I just focus on that. Then when I have the headspace or the time, I build out from that and all the other activities enhance and support that core. For instance, let's take something that's really practical. Let's say you know you need to automate your invoicing and tracking payment process, but you just don't have the headspace or budget to fully go for it right now. Just start with something that allows you to send you automated invoices. There are many that are free and don't worry about the payment side. Just keep doing what you're doing on that side. Just get used to sending and scheduling those automatic invoices. And then when you do have the headspace or the budget to figure it out, you can tackle the payment side of it. But just by automating invoicing, you've already made your workload a little easier. If you feel overwhelmed with the many options to grow your business or the many things that need to be put in place before you bring an idea to life, just break it up into phases. I didn't launch the Tutors Mastermind in its current state straight away. Since March, it's actually gone through four phases that just keep building upon and improving what's already in place. So here is an action that you can take. It's going to be one action. If you're feeling a little frazzled and not sure which advice to take or how to sustain all the different things you're doing, here's what you can do. Choose just one piece of advice that you've received that you've been meaning to go for for a while and just focus on trying that out. Try it out as fully as you can and just see how you feel with it. If you're struggling to sustain all the things you're doing, then a good exercise is to list all of those activities out and put them in one of two columns. Is it a must-have or a nice-to-have? If it's in the nice-to-have column, see whether you can press pause on any of the activities or if you can just make them a little easier. So today you have just one small action that can have a large impact. And remember, be wise about the advice that you choose. Because for anything to work, it has to be consistent. To be consistent, you have to be able to sustain it. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas you can tailor to your education business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes or visit www.upgradeyoureducationbusiness.com.